Headquarters to all units. Headquarters to all units. All units stand by for On Patrol with the PPD, airing now on WTBR 89.7 FM. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome back to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. Today is Friday, June 18th, 2021. My name is Mike Wynn. I am the chief of police here in the city of Pittsfield. I am also uh, purportedly one of the co-hosts and co-producers of this weekly radio show, although I haven't been here in a while. I'm joined in studio this morning by Lieutenant Gary Traversa, commander of the COPS Bureau and soundboard engineer extraordinaire. Good morning, Lieutenant. Morning, Chief. Good morning, everybody. Let's uh, start with the check of the weather, and we'll talk about a couple newsworthy news items, and then we'll uh, get on to the show. WTBR radar weather for the Pittsfield area today, mostly sunny. Highs around 80. Southwest wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, mostly cloudy with scattered showers. Not as cool with lows around 60. Southwest wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Chance of rain 50%. Saturday, partly sunny with scattered showers. Highs in the lower 80s. Southwest wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Chance of rain 50%. Weather forecasts for WTBRFM are provided by the National Weather Service. Got to cut my mic on, Lieutenant. There it is. There it is. All right. So what's what's in the news today? Um, well, let's start with what we were talking about before we got on the air, Lieutenant. Uh, today is um, the recognition, the local recognition, and, and actually the federal and state recognition of a new federal holiday that is actually celebrated tomorrow. Um, but the... The legislation was actually signed yesterday. Today is uh, the day that it is marked or taken off, and tomorrow is the uh, first official federally recognized celebration of Juneteenth. Um, Juneteenth is a holiday that I think I saw in the news this morning, 37 other states had already recognized. Um, so that puts us kind of, you know, even in uh, Massachusetts recognized it, I think, two years ago. Pittsfield officially adopted it as a holiday earlier this year, and federally it was adopted yesterday. Um, so, you know, we're a little behind the eight ball, but um, if you're not familiar with the holiday, it marks the day. Uh, I'm going to get my Civil War history incorrect here. I believe it was in uh, 1865 when Union troops reached Galveston, Texas to inform uh, enslaved african-americans that two months previously the confederacy had surrendered and they were in fact emancipated um so kind of a big deal a uh, a hallmark day in american history the history of our collective american experience and and definitely something worth taking time to recognize and commemorate so um i have to do the radio show and then i guess technically i get the rest of the day off so it's a good day for it. It's a good day for it. It's the beginning of the Father's Day weekend. You got big plans this Father's Day, Lieutenant? Um, baseball tournament day today, day one. <laughs> you're, you're going. <laughs> your day is going to be just like, your weekend is going to be just like every other weekend, isn't it? Uh, yeah. You're going to be running around with the kids, and then you're going to probably be doing a lot of housework and yard work. And you know my drill. 
I do. Enjoy it while I can. Yeah. All right. In another news article taken from this morning's Eagle, and I want to spend a little bit of time on this because, man, this is the world we live in. And uh, I read this article. I reread the article. And uh, ultimately, all I could say is I'm glad this wasn't our case. But it's a case uh, a couple months old out of Great Barrington. And essentially, uh, GPD responded to a motor vehicle crash, a fairly significant motor vehicle crash, in the roadway in front of their station um, where the defendant rear-ended another car that was stopped for the light. And upon their arrival, basically walking out of the station to get there, upon their arrival, um, they determined based on their training and experience, that the defendant operator was probably under the influence of inhalants. So, you know, in the vernacular, was huffing. Um, in this case, um, you know, the compressed air that you use to clean office equipment. And ultimately, the case was dropped um, because, you know, we, we have standardized field sobriety tests that are long validated for alcohol, and we're developing some tests that are a little less uh, accepted for, say, marijuana or opioids. But fringe substances, things that are, are probably not in the, in the common usage, they're difficult to test for. <clears throat> and if we can't objectively test for them, we have a hard time introducing evidence other than, you know, the officer's opinions. And so, you know, the, the occupant of the struck car sustained fairly significant injuries the officers did what they could um, with the tools available to them but ultimately the you know commonwealth district attorney's office um elected not well i don't know if they no i think they they did the full case but they couldn't meet the burden of proof um and i don't think many um many residents understand in some cases how difficult it can be to make these cases even if you've got everything going for you when i was instructing in the community academy i would get a lot of questions this is probably not something that we should put out you know widely but i'm going to anyway um we would get a lot of questions in the community academy for people who had been on jury duty like i had jury duty in an oui and i don't understand you didn't give them or offer them a breathalyzer and i was like how do you know and they said well it never came up and i was like well, if it never came up, that's because they refused, right? If we had offered it or given it, you would have heard testimony to it. The only time you never hear it mentioned is if they refused, and then their um, Fifth Amendment rights against self-incrimination prevent us from mentioning it at all. So uh, it's counterintuitive, but you know the defendant's rights um, take precedence in a case like that. So it's these are incredibly difficult cases. I might, you know. My feelings go out for the, the victim in the crash, but they also go out to the officers who worked really, really hard to try to seek justice for that victim. And this is, uh, this is ultimately the end of it. Uh, before we got on the air, I was looking for the article. It was actually uh, well covered in I Berkshire's, but I can't, I can't pull it. Oh, there it is. Um, I want to talk a little bit. You didn't, you didn't go out with them this week, did you, Lieutenant? No, I didn't. So I was actually traveling because uh, we'll get into my trip to Boston in a little bit. But uh, the special response team was activated on Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday evening. And, you know, the story was being reported on in real time. I was seeing some of the updates in social media. And obviously I was being updated by the team commander on the scene. Um, but this is one of those times where people are like, you know, massive show of force, massive police presence. And ultimately the 
suspect, the subject, wasn't there. And so then the questions start, you know, why did you do this? Why did you do that? And, you know, they're still doing the after-action report on this. But the bottom line is that, you know, the witness, the, the caller in this case, the witness reported a firearmed, armed subject uh, had made entry into that, that home. And the investigators determined in their initial investigation that there was some degree of credibility to that report. And so their information is that there's an armed subject in that home and for based on what they know, the subject is barricade. And, you know, I commend the officers and Chief Wood in this case because they did what we suggest that they do. They Instead of, you know, charging in there, um, guns drawn, and possibly forcing a confrontation, they slowed things down, they explored their options, and they asked for help. And that is what the special response team is designed to do, is provide additional resources in cases that may not fit into the... Um, into the, the abilities of your patrol officers on the street. So ultimately, SRT deployed. Um, they did what we call a relief in place. They took the patrol officers off the perimeter and replaced them. And they started doing their intelligence gathering. And, you know, relative, comparatively, we, we, we would say this was a relatively quick operation, Lieutenant, because we've been on operations that went much longer. But relatively quickly, they were able to determine that the initial reports um, were either delayed or, or inaccurate and that the subject actually wasn't in there. Our negotiator was actually able to speak to the subject and determine definitively that they were not inside the residence. So SRT made entry and cleared it just to make sure that there, you know, there wasn't anybody in there was injured or um, you know, anything else. And then they turned the scene back over to North Adams PD and they went uh, on their way. They went 10-8. So although it may seem like a lot of resources thrown at something that ultimately was futile that's you know that's erring on the side of caution and using the tools and training that we have spent a long time developing that's actually how it's supposed to work uh so much of the time there's you know you, you get a take a report in and um you know you have very limited information but the possibility of it being um legitimate you have to act on that yeah and you have to put those pieces in place because it's even more difficult to backpedal and catch up if you don't. Yeah. And so it's... So I want to I really quickly talk about one more news item. And then let's come back to this for a minute. Because you and I had a conversation, I think it was yesterday. Yeah, it had to be yesterday morning. Um, specifically related to this. And I, I think we probably should... We haven't talked about this on previous shows. We probably should spend a little bit of time on this. Because this isn't the first time, and it won't be the last time, that the subject, you know, in our language, broke containment. Um, so the last news article I want to draw attention to, I just want to talk about, and this is a curiosity for me. I don't understand. This is also from uh, today's Berkshire Eagle. I've been following this story with a little bit of interest as an outside, outsider looking in. So the uh, United States, I think it's called the Conference of Bishops, the Catholic Conference of Bishops is meeting right now. And they're meeting. It's a regular scheduled meeting, but they have this item that they have to discuss uh, that apparently is pretty divisive. Um, they're trying to decide if they're going to formally like take action to censure the president. Uh, and the reason is that President Biden is Catholic and he continues to receive communion. But he is also, you know, in his his role from his party, uh, he's a um, he's a he's an abortions rights proponent. Right. And so that's in conflict with the, the Catholic Church's platform and dogma. And there are 
members of the church and bishops who essentially want him to, or not, not just him, anyone, to stop taking communion um, because of his position on abortion. And I don't want to debate it. I just, I, I'm curious about it and I'm confused about it. Um, so I'm following that story and we'll see what happens. Um, I do not envy the, the bishops who are going to have to make these, this difficult choice. And I don't envy the president who has suddenly had his faith cast into uh, this discourse um, that personally strikes me as unfair. But that's, that's that. So we'll see what happens. I think they have to vote later today. All right. So um, this wasn't planned, but the, the story from North Adams kind of leads into this. So we were getting a little bit of a, an after action from somebody yesterday about the response uh, Tuesday evening. And I don't think we were, no, I think we were talking to Sergeant Barber. And I said, well, you know, it could always be worse. You know, at least they didn't gas the rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> and I, Jake hasn't been a lo- around long enough. He doesn't, he doesn't remember that. That was a, a, that was a team call out a long time ago. We were on Lincoln street. Were you on that one? Yeah. Um, so I, sometimes I'll tell this story. I told it to community academies. I told it to community groups. I tell it to the new operators when we run the basic SWAT school. And the reason that that operation stands out so much in my mind is, you know, first of all, it was a long time ago. We weren't carrying cell phones. We were carrying pagers. And uh, it was my first class at the police academy. I was a staff instructor in my first class at the police academy. And it was in the first couple of weeks because I had been down there full time. And uh, so the pagers go off for this call out, suspect in a, in a shooting incident and gone barricade apparently uh, off of Link, uh, Lincoln Street. And so I get the page and I go to the staff instructor's office and I call and I check in with the lieutenant. I'm like, hey, lieutenant, not for nothing. I'm in Agawam. I'm over, you know, I'm more than an hour away. I'm not really sure I'm going to be any of use to you. And he's like, get in your car and get back here now. Roger that, sir. <laughs> so I'm, I'm in uniform. I'm at the academy. I excuse me. I tell the director. I tell my partners. I get in the car. Oh, it's my personal vehicle and blue lights, but no other emergency equipment. I make my way. So I, I called at the time I called dispatch and I said, look, I'm coming in for that call out per the lieutenant, call the state police and tell them I'm going to be on the turnpike in my personal vehicle code two. And dispatch is like, yep, absolutely. We got this. We find out later, you know, much later, they never made that call. So, you know, I, how I made I skated this. I have no idea. So I make my way back to the turnpike. I get up on the turnpike. I activate the equipment, and uh, I'm heading back home. And uh, that was the day I decided that I had to have an, a siren installed in my in my personal car because I got behind this elderly woman in the left hand lane on the turnpike, and she would not move for me. Um, but so eventually, I make my way back. Get to the crisis scene. Uh, it also stands out because I ended up changing my tack gear, basically standing in the middle of the intersection of Lincoln and Cherry. And so we get briefed in and, you know, witness says suspect went in the house, suspect hasn't left that house. We do what we got to do. We get the perimeter in place. We get audio. Uh, you know, we try to introduce the throw phone. We get audio in there. And we can hear off of the throw phone that there's movement in the apartment. We can hear some, somebody moving around. We can, you know, that there's, there's noise, there's scratching. There's, it sounds like things are being moved. We're trying to, you know, get them to pick up the phone, nothing, nothing. So eventually the uh, commanders decide that we're going to, um, we're going to, you know, try to settle this thing. They come up with a plan. We introduce a little OC 
through a, a second story window. Then we hear the movement increase, right? It obviously is having an effect. We make entry, and the apartment is empty, except for a rabbit in a rabbit hutch in the kitchen. And the other noise that we heard, because we could find from where the phone was sitting, was the compressor on the refrigerator, right? So those two noises in combination made it appear that somebody was walking around in the apartment, and there wasn't. So valuable lesson learned. Subjects often break containment before tactical assets get unseen, right? We ask all the time, you know, have you had eyes on this entire time? Yes, yes, we've never, we never took our eyes off of the apartment. Generally, we find out after the fact that somebody did. Somebody went on a coffee run. Somebody went to get lunch. And so... We've been on a small handful of those. Small handful. Years. Small but, handful. You know, comparative to the amount of operations that uh, we've gotten a good perimeter and ended up resolving it. It's Yeah. I mean, we, we resolve more successfully, but you always remember the ones where those valuable lessons, right? Do you remember the one where we found out after the fact that the guy had crawled out through the basement window, and the only reason we found out he broke containment is he walked back into our perimeter after he had gone, like, it was for a stroll in the neighborhood? Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. Let's change gears. So we, you, I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. I was talking to Mr. Munn yesterday. You guys had a great show last week, huh? Yeah, it was really inform, for, informative. Um, you know, we had... Uh, um, Lieutenant State, Tara? Yeah, from uh, Environmental Police Department. And uh, she, uh, she gave a lot of great information about animals and recreational vehicles. And we talked about, you know, ticks, all sorts of, you know, the summertime stuff that, that comes up. I'm going to have to listen to that one. It's uh, we 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 didn't even really get a chance to talk. You know, we, we usually do a bit of a you know bio. A, a bio, and we didn't get a chance to do that at all. We just we we might have done one for about two minutes at the end. That was so that was about it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna circle back on that real quick. Um, but before, so Mr. Mo was telling me yesterday that he learned he's a boater, right? He owns a boat, and he and his family boat. But he said even he was uh, educated about some boating rules and regulations that he wasn't aware of. So. Yeah, he's an experienced boater. If he's learning something, you know, there's information to be gathered and gained. Yep. Um, so uh, I was, I always say Lieutenant Tara because uh, you know I met her um, before she was married, and I, in my mind, it's her maiden name. Um, but so kind of cool story. Uh, I've known her, in, you know, not not well, but I've known her in some capacity for a long time, even before she went to college, because she's like biologist. Yeah, and uh, and. So my ex, her, my ex's stepfather is uh, the lieutenant's grandfather. And so I met her uh, when she was a young woman, when she was getting ready to go to college. And I, I've only been involved with the staff, I think, for two state police municipal academies. And, you know, we send municipals out to New Braintree. And she was a student in my first. She had gotten out of college and decided she was going to join the environmental police. And she was going through the special state police academy with the SPMA. Uh, and the reason that stands out in my mind is when I'm teaching, I was teaching the class on um, cultural competency and cultural diversity and investigation of bias crimes. And I ask during my uh, discussion and lecture a question that's based on biology. And I've never had a student successfully answer the question. And she did. Uh, and so um, she got out of the academy and I, her initial assignments were out in Boston she was on the harbor unit in Boston Harbor for a long time and then she made her way home as she promoted so we're fortunate to have her back out here in Western Mass yeah she spent a lot of time out in um, you know Boston Harbor and, and further yeah. out I, 
forget exactly what it was, but they go out like a hundred miles or something. You know, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And so you know, we we talked about it a month ago, <clears throat> but we didn't really get into any details of the equipment. So unfortunately, we had the uh, the lost swimmer drowning case uh, out on Pontusic Lake about a month ago, maybe a little bit more. And I've had the opportunity over the course of my career to interact with our state counterparts from a variety of agencies. You know, it was just, just over a year ago we had a, another drowning incident here and we brought in all kinds of state agencies. <clears throat> Never in my career did I expect that I would ever see the state police harbor patrol boat from Boston Harbor in one of our lakes. I just, that, I couldn't fathom that. But that was a significant operation and they were bringing in all their resources and they trailered that boat out here. Yep. It was amazing. It's an impressive boat. <clears throat> I uh, I had an opportunity to, to go on it oh, maybe three, four years ago. Um, we were out at a training in uh, outside of Boston and I was in the class with the uh, lieutenant that commands that unit. So uh, he invited us out for a little demo day. That's always an interesting, like, perk side benefit of the job right when you go somewhere for training and you've got classmates who are in some of these elite units or special units and you get a little you get a little uh glimpse into what they do when i was in quantico one of my classmates in the uh leader program leads program was a captain with dc metro and we spent one weekend uh, one saturday we were doing the like the tour of the, the DC monuments and stuff, but he also arranged for us to go take a visit to the unit out on the river. And so the Harbor unit and the air unit are co-located on the banks of the Potomac right next to Reagan airport. And so everybody who went on that trip that weekend, uh, you know, alternating half of us were on the boat and then we swapped and we got to go up in the helicopter. <laughs> that was a good day. <clears throat> so, yeah. Little things. All right, so we're, you know, 20-plus minutes into this, and, you know, we're going to get into some local stuff in the second half of the show. But when the lieutenant and I were talking about our schedule, um, I just, I I had said early on, right after my um, appointment to the Post Commission, that as things evolved and, and things developed, that I would use this forum as well as, you know, what other platforms to uh, try to keep people posted. So uh, police... Police reform legislation was signed by the governor at the end of December, so January 1st, get to kind of get to work. A uh, lot of requirements, a lot of changes, a lot of deadlines. Um, and then in April, I was, uh, well, April-ish, and in March or April, I was asked if I would serve in that capacity. Agreed, was sworn in, and so we, we started work under the, the pandemic rules. And under the pandemic rules, pretty much most of our work uh, was done has been done virtually with zoom meetings and we had had two publicly posted um, public zoom meetings since since we were sworn in and we had third one scheduled for this wednesday and in addition to the publicly posted meetings um the the chairperson of the post commission judge hinkle asked if i and <coughs> two of my fellow commissioners would start doing some of the the legwork on this first set of regulations that we're responsible for and it's not regulations that's the wrong word it's guidance guidelines that are due at the end of this month and so for the past you know four or five weeks uh, in between the, the public meetings 
uh, Commissioner Bluestone, Commissioner Luma and I have been working on this first set of guidelines. This set of guidelines is um, de-escalation and disengagement alternatives to use of force specifically for children. Uh, it's It's been an interesting project to work on because uh, within all of the Massachusetts general laws, there there's no common definition of children. There can be as many as five ages that define a children, depending on what's part of the law you're looking at. Um, de de-escalation is different for different branches of government, depending on what you're looking at. And you know, we're we're particularly looking at po peace officers, um, police officers. <clears throat> Disengagement is something that means different things to different people. And then got to kind of you know evaluate this all in use of force. So. The executive orders allowing for remote participation expired Tuesday at midnight, and they weren't signed back into extensions until Wednesday evening, which meant that our publicly posted meeting for Wednesday morning fell into the gap, and it had to be an in-person meeting. So the week before, there was a lot of, a lot of scrambling going around. <clears throat> But ultimately, the decision was made. We we're going to go forward with the meeting. It was going to be an in-person meeting. Post Commission doesn't have offices or space yet. I don't mean staff yet. So uh, one of our advisors helped us out. We managed to borrow some space from the Gaming Commission, whose offices are located on Federal Street in Boston. I had never been before. Learned something new. Um, but this was a 0830, 8.30 a.m. meeting right downtown Boston. We live out here in the beautiful Berkshires. There's no possible way to reasonably make it to an 8.30 meeting uh, by leaving from here, um, unless you're going to leave the night before. So Monday and Tuesday, put the plan together, and uh, I'm fortunate that my lovely bride is from Marlboro, and her parents still live there. So Tuesday afternoon, drove out, stayed with my in-laws, had a lovely dinner with them, caught up, and then bright and early Wednesday morning, made my way into Boston, um, before I left my in-laws, my mother-in-law came out while I was having my coffee to inform me that there was a water main break on Congress Street, basically where I was going. So what would have been a leisurely drive-in and giving me time for breakfast ultimately ended up being a hurried drive-in with no time for breakfast. I couldn't get to the parking garage that was recommended. So as soon as I got into the neighborhood, I found a parking garage, parked it, made it, got there in time to kind of prep for the meeting. And, uh, so we submitted our draft to our fellow commissioners, and they are responding in real time as we speak with their suggestions, their comments, and their edits, and then we'll have to redraft it um, as a working group, resubmit it to the full commission, and then ultimately uh, at our next posted public meeting on the 30th, we have, to, uh, we have to hopefully approve this guidance, which will be the first legal piece of work uh, coming out of the post commission so that's kind of the state of where we are and um i share that because it, like all meetings of, of public bodies under the massachusetts open meeting law post commission meetings are public meetings um, we have to post the agenda uh, 48 hours in advance they get posted to the commonwealth's website uh the public is allowed to participate. We, we actually had one member of the public show up in the conference room um, on Wednesday, which was interesting. It was, you know, first in-person meeting, and, and somebody took the time to be there. Um, but now with the executive order, we can go back to uh, at least 
for a year, we can go back to virtual meetings and public participation is allowed and encouraged in those as well. So if this is a topic you have an interest in, um, look for the you know, look for the agenda on mass.gov. I think, it, I think it's mass.gov slash post, but um, you can search for it. You'll find it. And uh, meeting locations will be posted. Times will be posted. Agendas and minutes will be posted. Uh, after we, you know, finish the draft of this guidance, the actual document will be posted. And that's the status of the work of the Post Commission so far. So I don't know if any, whether there's a water main break or not, I don't know if I would term a drive into Boston as leisurely. I had a plan, man. <laughs> I had a plan, and I was going to get... I, I had time. Like, I woke up at 5.30. I was out, you know, cleaned up and out the door at 6.30. I had plenty of time. Uh, even even if the traffic was bad, I still had plenty of time. And had I not had to circle the block a couple times and park five blocks away, that plan would have worked. But as we both know, no plan survives first contact. And so we improvise, we adapt, and we overcome. All right, so we are coming up on the half hour, which means it's time for another check of the weather station identification and maybe a couple PSAs. And we'll be back in a few minutes for the second half of the show. WTBR radar weather for the Pittsfield area today, mostly sunny. Highs around 80. Southwest wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, mostly cloudy with scattered showers. Not as cool with lows around 60. Southwest wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Chance of rain 50%. Saturday, partly sunny with scattered showers. Highs in the lower 80s. Southwest wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Chance of rain 50%. Weather forecasts for WTBRFM are provided by the National Weather Service. Support for WTBR comes from Greylock Federal Credit Union, proud to support high school arts and sports programs to help our community thrive. Greylock Federal, with locations throughout the Berkshires and online at greylock.org. And from BeFair. BeFair is one of the largest premier human service agencies in Berkshire County. If you're looking for services for a loved one or are interested in caring for the people we support, visit BeFair.org today for available opportunities. Support for WTBR comes from Sandrini Enterprises, providing awnings and canopies in western Massachusetts. Retractable awnings, retractable screens, gutter and gutter protection systems, commercial awnings, and screen rooms. Customized solutions available online at sandrini.com. UCP of Western Massachusetts is hiring. If you'd like to help people with different abilities lead independent lives, apply at ucpwma.org jobs. We need direct and living caregivers. Join the agency who's reimagining independence. Support for WTBR comes from Berkshire Community College. BCC offers more opportunity and less student debt. With small class sizes and more than 50 academic programs to choose from, fall classes begin on September 7th. Apply today at berkshirecc.edu. And from County Ambulance, providing quality, professional, efficient medical care and medical transportation services to the citizens of Berkshire County. Online at countyamb.com. Good morning. Welcome back. You're listening to On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. In studio this morning, I am joined by Lieutenant Gary Traversa. Good morning, Lieutenant. Good morning. My name is Mike Wynn. I am one of your hosts and the chief of police here in the city of Pittsfield. <sighs> Lieutenant, I know you're on the email thread. 
we try to protect you from this as much as we can, but Captain Grady's getting a little overwhelmed. Uh, if there is one sure sign of the reopening that we are moving into the post-pandemic phase, it is special events. Yeah, everybody <clears throat> wants to kind of get back to normal, and you know, I certainly we understand that you know the uh, drive and the motivation to kind of get back to it and maybe in some cases <laughs> make up for lost time um I, I don't think it's in some cases right i was talking to somebody <laughs> about this last night um you, you know and god bless our community partners this is not a criticism it's just an observation and we're we're doing the best we can but anybody who holds not any not everybody but a lot of people who regularly hold smaller monthly special events that they lost all of them last year and they're probably going to lose most or all of them this year. They're they're making up for it instead of small, you know, multiple small events with one massive event. And uh, you know, it's it's been interesting because some events that we've supported for you know, in one case a decade, in one case more than a decade, um, the response post pandemic to to kind of like come back and celebrate. Stuff that we would be able to support with a small, five, you know, supervisor plus four, supervisor plus five. We're getting requests for events that they're going to be 15, 18 person details. I had a conversation with the mayor earlier this week. I said, you know, one of these events that historically has been on a holiday morning, early morning. Uh, it's a it's a road race and it's normally a circuit. You know, it's it's a uh, it's laps around a couple of downtown blocks, and because of the way we helped them lay it out, we can basically do it with with no additional personnel. The on-duty officers can do it just by kind of positioning their cars very quickly. Uh, that one's being moved off of that circuit onto essentially the downtown corridor, and it's also being moved from an early holiday morning to later on a Saturday morning. And Captain Grady, you know, was pointing it out, looking at the the route. There's no way we can do it without additional resources. And, you know, the captain is absolutely right. You know, the, the way that this is being planned, the size of the detail is basically the same size as the detail for the 4th of July road race. The duration will be less, but the, the, the scope of the detail is the same. And a lot of times when we talk to organizers for events, they don't understand that their event may be 60 to 90 minutes. But for us to support their event safely for a 60 or 90 minute event, we may be there for five or six hours. We may be there for five or six hours getting cars moved and putting barricades in place and relocating vehicles, not not personal vehicles, but vehicles that we use um, for intrusion prevention. And the event goes off on, on a secure perimeter. The event is over. They all leave. And then we have to restore that. And so you know, a 60 to 90 minute event, maybe a five or six hour detail. Uh, and there's, there's an expense associated with that. So ironically, you know, we just went through the budget process. We talked about that a little bit last week, budgets passed, we're going to work, you know, that that's fine. But in light of the pandemic, we decreased our special events budget. And even though the number of events is still going to be lower than it has been in the past, the increased scope of these events is going to increase the cost. And so 
we went through the budget process thinking that, you know, things will come back later in the year and they'll come back to what we knew in 2019. That's not the case. These, these are all new events. Uh, and so um, some of them are going to be very expensive. They're going to be great. They're going to be exciting. Um, but there's going to be a cost associated with that. And we're going to need a lot of help from highway and from our other city departments. So, um, you know, we're up to it. We know what it takes. But man that so the road race is going to be a significant change and then that concert that they've got planned in september that's going to be a significant change we've not seen one like that uh, i want i don't want to i don't want to blow up anybody's spot it you know it's not well announced yet so i'm just going to say there's a concert planned for september in the common it's going to be a big deal <laughs> And it's, you know, it's not only the day of the event, you know, like you say, the, the setup and the breakdown and everything in between, but it's all the planning. It's just, there's a lot of planning involved. So the one that I just mentioned briefly, and it's not, for that one, it's not even the planning. It's the messaging, right? So again, we're not going to get into a ton of detail right now because it hasn't been fully announced, but it's going to require significant traffic detours on routes that are ordinarily heavily traveled uh, by commercial vehicles including tractor trailers and so again i talked to like my, my counterparts in other departments they they it's not their world it's not their perspective they don't see it this way but you know like one of the biggest challenges we face on the fourth of july when we put when we start putting the road closures in early that morning and they're going in at you know five five thirty in some cases so we can take uh territory for the staging areas it's not our local residents. Everybody who is from here, from Berkshire County, they know that this is going to happen almost every year, you know, except for the pandemic. Um, it's the out-of-town drivers who, they're not on our social media. They don't have access to our emergency notification systems. They don't pay attention to our local uh, radio and news. And so they drive up on these traffic control points fully expecting, because their GPS is saying, go, go north on Route 7. And they think that they're just going to continue to drive. And then we're like, no, you know, turn around, go back to Dan Fox Drive, follow that. You know, in some cases, depending on the size of the truck, we may have to route them through Stockbridge. And these people aren't happy. <laughs> and so the, that's the type of, I was, I was in a department head meeting yesterday, and I said to Chief Sammons, you're going to have to have a plan to notify um, all the ambulance providers in South County because this, could, this potentially could uh, impact their ability to access the hospital so so my first couple years um as as an officer in pittsfield during the fourth of july parade i was always I, I think it was at least three years i was down at wakona and seymour your junior you get the last yeah you, you get the, rolled up the last in so that particular intersection was all every year i could count on that there was a tractor trailer coming down yep and you know that obviously is a a choke point it's it, you're shut down they get there's there, nowhere to reroute them they can't go anywhere it's just there's, and my advice was um you know get comfortable park the truck and get out and get something cold, <laughs> cold to drink and pull eat. over and get your mandatory dos rest period a yeah. dot rest period because you're not going anywhere no no um in uh subsequent years um we had some additional signage that to to try to um you know alleviate that and i think to a certain extent technology and mapping and all that has helped out uh, uh, for the trucks but 
that was uh, that was always a doozy. So I'll tell you my Fourth of July story, and then we'll, we'll go give an example of of how this truck traffic dilemma appears in other situations because uh, we haven't talked about this before either. <laughs> um, so for our listeners, for our viewers, patrol officers, junior patrol officers, get out of the academy. Uh, generally, you go to midnights, and then when the Fourth of July parade rolls around. Uh, you get assigned to a traffic control post, and traffic control post, preference for traffic control post is based on seniority. Some senior officers have posts that they've worked for years, like their family knows where they're going to be, and they come and they set their chairs there, and it's a way for the officer to spend a little family time with their family uh, during the parade. Junior officers, particularly those of us who are married, you get the worst post. You get the worst posts that get rolled up. Uh, so you're there earlier, and you stay the longest. And generally what happens is you get out of work at 8 in the morning, you go right to parade roll call, you try to grab something to eat, and you get to your post. And then, you know, it, if you're really unlucky, you work the parade and then you get called back into work the fireworks, right? Those, and those are horrific days. Horrific days. And I despised that work so much that it ruined the parade for me. And from the time it was probably my second or third year on the job so probably from 98 or 99 i deliberately took vacation on the week that bracketed the fourth of july even if it cost me more days right because you like to take your vacation when you get that you know two-week block for eight days i didn't care i would burn all of my vacation days to get that week off so i couldn't get ordered in for the parade and i would make sure that i was in another state on the morning of the fourth of july <laughs> and i did that religiously until i became the chief so from like 1997 to 2007 when I took command, I was never in town for the 4th of July parade. I despised it that much. And then when I became the chief, I realized I had to be here on the 4th of July. That was a heavy, heavy hit. <laughs> and now, you know, with the exception of last year, I hadn't missed one. So, um, but this is an interesting point. And I, so I was, I was traveling last week. I was actually traveling to do some supervisory training. And the supervisory training that I was doing uh, the second day, this, well, the, the first afternoon and the second day, my partner and I work with new police supervisors from all over New England, and we're working on leadership during a crisis, right? You know, when, when a crisis situation pops off and you're the first-line supervisor rolling in there to support your officers, what are your immediate responsibilities? The type of stuff we've been doing for a couple of years during our supervisory roundtable when we work the seven critical tasks and we do what we re refer to as hot box exercises. And so I had a question from a student in my class last Thursday, and I was sharing with them uh, an example from our actual history going back, I think it was a year ago now, right? So do you remember, we, we did this in a supervisory roundtable, but do you remember doing the after-action report on the fatal motor vehicle crash on West Zatonic Street that um, ultimately ended up with the, the traffic flow problem? Were, were you there when we debriefed this one? Uh, no, it's not. So this was a day shift call, and it, it, it was ironic. It, it was practically in my neighborhood. And so I was coming out of my driveway, and there was a lot of traffic on my street, a lot more than we normally would be there. And so and normally I'd pull out of my garage and I'd turn left, but I could see a lot of traffic on the street. I had the police radio on and I realized I was, you know, this was essentially my neighborhood. So instead I turned right and I drove up to the, so the, the scene of the crash was West Susitonic Route 20 at Osceola. And I drove up, I drove, you know, to the end of my street and I essentially was inside the perimeter. There, there, now I'm close enough that 
where there's not supposed to be any vehicle traffic. I'm in there, and they're trying to turn everybody around. <clears throat> and this wasn't a this is not a criticism of any of the people who responded that day, but they put their traffic control points in at their first traffic control points went in at West Tuzatonic in Plymouth. And they realized that was a problem because that's a you know steep hill going up. I do remember this now. It was like it, three years ago. It, I don't even think it was that far, that long yeah. ago, actually. And so the second traffic control point went in at West Susatonic and Gale. But to the west, the traffic control point went in at West Susatonic and Oswald. And ultimately what that ended up doing is, so it's Route 20 and it's like 8.20 in the morning, 8.30 in the morning. Uh, there's a lot of truck traffic. And so because they put those traffic control points in where they had, it ended up with tractor trailers ending up on the middle section of Gale Ave, um, Osceola. And, and so the motor, <clears throat> the motor vehicle crash is the critical incident. That's what we're trying to protect. That's what we're trying to work. <clears throat> but because of the traffic control points, we ended up with a secondary critical incident because those tractor-trailer units got up into this tightly congested residential neighborhood with two hairpin turns, and they started pulling down cable lines. And so now we're getting calls from people who can't get out of their driveway because there's tractor-trailers on these narrow secondary roads, tertiary roads. And one of the things that we say when we talk about crisis leadership is don't make it worse, right? Make a decision, but whatever decision you make, don't make it worse. And so... At some point after I you know, found the supervisors and we kind of like pulled out a map and we looked, we actually ended up pushing those traffic control points back. So on the east, we pushed it back to West Lusitonic and Barker, which could get some of that traffic you know, off of, of West Lusitonic. We pulled a lot of tractor trailers into the Pittsfield Plaza and said, just hang out here, right? This is going to take us a while. And we, ended, we were waiting there a long time because we had to wait for the state police unit to come in. And on the west side, we pushed the traffic control point back to West Susatonic and Route 41 to get those tractor trailers off of our residential streets. And so, you know, decisions made in real time, you're looking at your scene looking in. And one of the things that we were talking about with our students last week is take a minute, stand on your perimeter and look out. You know, what's what's the bigger picture? What's the 30,000 foot view? And one of the reasons that I wanted to tell this story is, unfortunately, so we the the incident happened. We mitigated the incident. We got that crash investigated. Ultimately, we got the tractor trailers out of there. We ended up turning some of them around in the park. Uh, we managed to clear the roadway and get the roadway back. It took a little while, but, you know, that's, that's what we do. The supervisors that I worked with that morning were in the supervisory roundtable where we debriefed it and we used it as a training exercise. So there's a bunch of supervisors there listening to their, their fellow sergeants talk about how this occurred and why it occurred. And ironically i want to say three weeks or three and a half weeks later we had another serious motor vehicle crash it fortunately not fatal in almost the exact same location and the supervisors so that one was early in the morning the second one was it, at the afternoon like after shift change in the evening rush hour traffic and the supervisors who had been in the round table were in command for that second one and they instantly recognized the situation and popped those further traffic control points in place and we we never had to shut the road down right they they made a decision in real time to push their perimeter out and as a result of that local traffic only we were able to get everybody who needed to get home home but all the the you know intercommunity traffic was detoured quickly and we had a scene that we could work pristinely um so decisions that supervisors make at the outset are important 
that's why we keep doing the type of in-service training and professional development we do. It's, um, you know, I, I, as you mentioned, the uh, West Susitonic Street, it's a notoriously difficult, um, you know, scene to reroute or a road to re- 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 reroute because of, there, there's just neighborhoods on both right. sides. Yeah. You know, there's really not another thoroughfare, main thoroughfare that you can uh, direct them to. And, um, you know, going back uh, probably nine, ten years ago, uh, I was part of a response to uh, a, a car carrier whose um, the, the, the bottom deck had dropped, unbeknownst it to the driver. Ooh. So it raised up the top. This is similar to the experience you had last week with your trailer. <laughs> well, I don't, <laughs> I don't know to that degree, but it... Uh, so th- this tractor trailer is coming through, or car carrier is coming through into town with a height um, issue, and um, you know, right into the railroad bridge, the, the railroad bridge at uh, Clapp Park. Same deal, you know. It, so my point is, I was there, I experienced that, I learned my lesson, right, and as did the the other officers on that call. But if you get a whole new shift of people, right. you have, you know, we have, um, you know, as, as we um, advance and get new people on, they might not recognize that. So they kind of go through the same thing. And that's an, a, a, a distinct advantage with the roundtables because you can share that information. Right. Because ultimately, um, you know, it's good to learn from your mistakes, not necessarily a mistake, but just a, so- uh, a challenge. But it's better to learn from other people's challenges right yeah so so i learned something that day that hadn't occurred to me prior to that and i think i've mentioned this on the program before so i grew up you know here in town and my stepfather when when i was really young my stepfather was a long haul truck driver and to this day he amazes me like i can tell him i'm taking a road trip somewhere and he'll be like oh you know you're going to want to you know take 20 over to east greenbush and then you're going to want to do this and get on that road and not only will he give me the best route like from memory but he'll tell me where the the way stations and speed traps were in 1977 right i don't care i'm not driving a rig but you know that he he could drive this country and he just had you know massive knowledge of of maps and geography and navigation um what we found out that day is, you know, in this day and age with technology, for many drivers, they don't have that ability. They're listening to their GPS. And one of the things that contributed to our traffic snarls that, that day, of the, the fatal crash, was that if you detour off of the route that's programmed into your GPS, most of our GPS units are programmed to get you right back onto that route. And so the officers who put the traffic control points in that day, and I was guilty of this when I got there because I, I, when I finally got up in the neighborhood, I snarled it out. If you're from the area and you know anything about Pittsfield, if you're eastbound on West Susitonic Street and we detour you at, let's say, Oswald, right? we're going to turn you to the north, we're going to put you up onto Eleanor, Gail, Eleanor, Roberta. In our mind, if you follow that up over the bridge and you get up on there and you get up on the Eleanor or Roberta, you're up on West Street, and then you just go you know, past our route and you come back into town. Well, that's not what GPS wanted them to do. GPS took them up to that weird little um, section of Gale Ave that reconnects to Redmond Lane and Osceola. And so all of the tractor trailers that we thought we were sending up to West Street on both of our traffic control points, ultimately they turned into those neighborhoods and they ran into one another. So those are tiny little constricted streets 
Uh, very narrow. Like I said, there's two switchbacks in there. Um, and so at one point, I had to grab, I actually grabbed a field training car. And it's like, you need to go up essentially to Oswald and Gale, and you need to block that intersection and tell everybody they got to keep going north. They got to get back up to a, a major road because their GPS was literally turning them into one another. So um, I had never thought about that if you're looking at people who are not familiar with the area it, it's just going to say, you know, recalculating, rerouting, and it's going to take the first turn it can to get you back to where the computer says they should be. So that was a disaster. And, and the concern in those neighborhoods is always, the, like you said, the lines. You yeah. Know, they start pulling down lines, and then uh, you get a bigger mess. All right. That was a huge digression. It, killed, it, it took up a lot of, I said killed, it didn't take, it took up a lot of time though. And it, I think it's interesting, right? I, it always, like you said, you know, the purpose of the supervisory roundtables, you can learn from somebody else's miscalculations or somebody else's experience. And that's one of the things that I tried to share with my students last week. It was like, don't, you know, don't make our mistakes. If we've been there, we can teach you this. It's one of the reasons that after action reporting and after action debriefs are so important is that shared knowledge. Um, yep. So invaluable what else do we want to talk about in the few minutes we have left lieutenant i forgot what we talked about yesterday um the budget passed yeah uh budget post and um i'm drawing a blank we talked about special events there was something else on the list Mm. i don't remember either um so big things coming up we got We have a supervisory roundtable scheduled for next week. It's going to be a big one because I had to cancel the last one. Um, I got some ideas for the next quarter supervisory roundtables. I didn't copy you on that. I got a a memo from a supervisor yesterday. Actually, I got it the day before, but I was traveling, so I didn't see it. Um, We had a brief motor vehicle pursuit on Tuesday. I think it was Tuesday. And... uh, it was out in the same neighborhood, right? West Usatonic Street. There's <laughs> a lot going on out there. Um, but I got a memo from a supervisor detailing, you know, the the essentially the, the equivalent of like one of our force investigation memos for a pursuit. And that's not required. You know, there's, there are requirements for reporting for a pursuit, but this, this was above and beyond. It was amazing. I actually shared it with Captain Kirchner yesterday. He's like, this is the template for this going forward. Uh, so we may, uh, we may grab that sergeant and have him do a little class on pursuit reporting um so that's coming up and then we have a coffee with a cop next week so um we're trying to go back to in person we'll see how this goes we're scheduled to be at the christian center i need to put the post up for that either this weekend or first thing monday morning so um we'll see how that goes uh, things are trickling back to normal and obviously slowly it, slowly we're getting back to normal well i i I wish it was slowly. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna have to come up with a plan to schedule a community academy now that we can do in person meetings again. So we'll figure out how we're gonna do that. Um, I was having a conversation with some of my my students last week, and we were talking about some community engagement things. Um, I have an idea. I, I think for some video content that I want to start doing. Um, so stand by on that. Oh, open data. We're pushing some information out on our website. Uh, it, it, we don't have a ton up there yet, but on uh, pittsfieldpd.org, uh, there is a new button uh, for the open data portal. 
And so you can go take a look at that. We've got some information that we developed during the budget process about uh, equipment expense spending. We also have some information that uh, Intel has been putting up there about our um, calls for service, arrests, citations, and warrants. So some good information up there. We're going to start pushing more content out to the open data portal. And Operation Copsicle has been out and about. They were down in Lee recently, but... uh, Officer Derby's got some plans. I think movie nights are coming back uh, at some of our public housing. Yeah, and they're uh, out at a couple of the elementary schools, um, you know, with the end of the year, uh, move-up ceremonies and field days, that sort of thing. This nice. Week. So today's the last day of school, isn't it? I think today is the last day of school. Yeah. I think yeah. I think older students stop, like, on Tuesday, right? Yeah. So. All right, so we got about three minutes left. Big things going on. Special events are coming back. We're starting to get back out in the community. We didn't spend any time at all talking about um, kind of recent events, um, particularly the, the recent shooting investigations. And you know what? I'm okay with that because I kind of got a little preachy and went off the deep end with that two weeks ago. Um, those cases are underway. We're making good progress. Uh, we'll talk about that probably again next week. Uh, so, Lieutenant, other than baseball, what do you got going on for the weekend? I'm going to enjoy some, some nice weather. I, the, to, to hear the, the weather report in the, uh, the 80s, you know, summer's here. It's been a little cool. Not that I mind it. Yeah. I, I enjoy the weather, but it's been, you know, not quite seasonal yet. You get the boat out? 80 degrees. I put it, I put it in Pontusic on um, today's Friday. Took it out for a test run Wednesday night. You put it in Pontusic. You're not putting it up at your your place I, in the mountain. I'm, I'm. I did a test drive. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was purred like a kitten. So knock on so, a lot of wood and fiberglass. Dro- drop it in the reservoir <laughs> sometime later this week. Maybe. Maybe. All right. Did I hear yesterday that your your new mountain vista lodge is you've actually converted into an Airbnb? Um, to be discussed. To be discussed. I'm sorry. If I had that place, I wouldn't share that with anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't even share it with me. <laughs> All right. Um, we don't have to do the what's going on in Pittsfield cultural newsletter thing because that show is back. We listened to the conclusion of it as we sat down to start our show. So uh, Jen Glockner and Shabon Lemmy and their guests are back. There is a ton of stuff going on this weekend. Uh, live theater performances are back. Live music performances are back. There is a Juneteenth celebration in Park Square tomorrow afternoon. I believe it's at noon, uh, sponsored by the NAACP. So if you're in town and you're around, um, you know, celebrate this markedly important day in our American history. Uh, I got a train this weekend. I travel for the last couple of weeks severely impacted my training. We haven't talked about my road trip to uh, the law enforcement only jujitsu class that might be a uh, a short topic for a future episode we'll have to talk about that but thank you for tuning in to this new episode of on patrol with the ppd here on wtbr 89.7 fm we'll be back next week with another new episode until then be well be kind stay healthy we'll see you next week uh and We hope you enjoy this beautiful Father's Day weekend. That's it for us. We're 10-8.